Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Godzilla vs. Kong today. I wanted uh, to watch this. Jose, well, you... you I was up to for it. it. I mean, you know, it kind of... I, I wouldn't have minded not seeing it, but yeah. I was up for it. I kind of... So it's the fourth film in the legendary Monsterverse. I don't know if you were really aware that this is another of the cinematic universes that we're being treated to. No. These films do link together. So Godzilla in 2014, which was directed by Gareth Edwards, who'd done Monsters before that. Right. Which I remember being the only person in the world who liked. I mean, I read my review of it that I wrote on my blog the other day. And like the first line is, no one liked this but me. And I can't work out what. <laughs> so often the case. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then in, in 2017 it was Kong Skull Island which I didn't see at the time I, I saw that I just happened to watch the other day I found it really charmless surprisingly uh, it was awful is that the one with Juliette Binoche no oh <laughs> that's, I think that's was that, God, was that the first Godzilla or Godzilla King of the Monsters which was 2019 okay which we saw together right and podcasted on which there were things we didn't like, but there were things that we did, and one of the things that we liked was how beautiful it was. Yes. There was, this, there was an amazing kind of visual poetry to some of it, mm. visual design. So, this is a universe that is sitting alongside the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, maybe even like the Fast and Furious films. Mm. You know, And it hasn't produced films at the rate that those have, four films over seven years. Mm. But they are building a continuing story and a continuing world. Mm. So in this... Godzilla, who was awoken by kind of mining and stuff in the first film, who's been living under uh, underneath the earth in the hollow earth, which I think is an invention. Mm. I don't think that goes back into the history of Godzilla and King Kong. The hollow, I think that's a new thing for this universe. And so is King Kong. And in this film, they are trying to use Kong to locate the source of energy that is in the hollow earth so that they can power Mecha Godzilla and fight Godzilla, who is rampaging around... And, uh-huh. I think what's what I love about these films, something that's really interesting about them, is that everything is the human's fault. Everything that happens. Like, these things are just animals, mm. right? Godzilla's just an animal. King Kong's just an animal. They're just trying to get on with their lives. They do have this ancient blood feud that goes back into their families and things, which you hear about, um, which is why they go for each other's throats the second they see each other. But, you know, we're the ones who woke them up, right? It's our mining. It's our drilling and all that kind of stuff. And what happens is kind of karma. So we've spoken before about how superhero films, since a kind of Man of Steel, was so destructive. Mm. They've kind of taken pains to say, oh, we're getting people out of the situation, we're, we're evacuating the city, and then the destruction can happen. We're not killing people. No such qualms in this film, right? No. When Hong Kong is destroyed, it is destroyed and it's full of people. Well, yes, but... I mean, it is destroyed, it is full of people... But actually, I was thinking back to the original Godzilla where you felt, you know, because it has almost rhyming shots of the same thing, a foot stomping a street whilst Mm. people are fleeing. But I was thinking, you know, when you're watching the original Godzilla, you really felt people in danger and people dying and people at risk. And that was like part of the excitement yeah, of the heart racing when the film was, uh, Mm. you know, unfolding is that people were in danger. Was actually, even though all of Hong Kong gets destroyed and there are people in it, you never feel that, that engagement with people being in danger I think that's true but I think what's interesting is that I I also think that you didn't feel any sense of people in danger in Man of Steel for instance when 
Well, Super, that's true. Superman, which and, is a um, problem. I find the problem of the film. But, yeah, and this and this is something that kind of generally people found a problem with, right? Yeah. Like this is just wanton kind of destruction that we don't even feel. Yeah, it's brutish on a on a brutish. colossal scale. So on paper, the same thing's happening here. But I think I didn't find a problem with it because I think there is this kind of karmic thing of we're the ones to blame for this. Like our, our you know, human arrogance has led to a situation where the nature is fighting I, back. I I, I'm, I don't feel that. So. So again, I could understand that reading, but I think the film gives off a different vibe, which is all, you know, greedy corporate culture's fault and greedy trillionaires' fault, right? And there, and there is a difference between ordinary people trying to do good mm. and these mega powerful institutions and people who are just greedy and destroying everything. Sure. But part of what they're destroying is people as well as the environment and monsters and so on. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So actually, the people who are dying in these tower blocks that get smashed up by Godzilla are... Victims. Victims of the corporations as well. Yeah. Yes. To the point... And, and the thing is, the corporations... The, cor- the corporations, quote-unquote. So the kind of central evil corporation in this, Apex, mm. um, which, you know, as the name suggests, wants to become the Apex... The corporation of the corporations. <laughs> well, it wants to bring humanity back to its position as the Apex Predator of the Earth, mm. which is why it builds Mechagodzilla. Um, and, of course, first thing, like, you know, same thing that happened in The Matrix, same thing that happened in Terminator. You build a machine and it gets a mind of its own and you lose control of it and mm. it goes haywire. And, ultimately, Godzilla and Kong... Put aside their differences <laughs> and team up, which is wonderful, you know. Yes. And you kind of knew that had to happen, I suppose, because, like I said to you, they're going to team up in the next film, probably. That there has to go on, right? No one can win. And also, you've got like people who love Godzilla, and you've got people who love Kong, and you can't be seen to favour either side of the, the fan divide, you know. Well, I don't see why not. Personally, <laughs> you know, I kind of um, Kong has made the sympathetic one. You you follow his point of view in this film, and Godzilla is the unknowable other monster. Yeah, right? so, and he's the one who is terrorizing the Earth at the start. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, let's not make too much. I mean, I think for me the most interesting things were the graphic qualities. You know, which initially I thought, oh no, fuck. You know, like why didn't they just make this a cartoon? Because, you know, I thought the special effects, like they're good. But they never really suggest the real world, yeah? It kind of, it suggests a digitized um, Mm. world, right? And then, you know, after five or ten minutes, the chip off my shoulder fell. (laughs) And I got into it, right? Got into your skin. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, then you begin to appreciate the texture of the monster's skin, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, the imaginative worlds and how beautifully designed they are for the monsters and Mm. so on and so forth. So, you know, I still insist that films lose something, something, in quotation marks, real, but that engage you, that there's something at risk, that there's something at, in danger, that it's a real world that's under threat. You know, when mm. it's digitized to this extent, it might as well be a cartoon. And of course, a cartoon can make you feel as well. You know, it's not because it's a cartoon that it doesn't, uh, you know, but it, it, it needs to do so through other mechanisms. And I do think that this film has neither one nor the other, really. It's not engaging from a narrative point of view or in terms of characterization, right? You know, and then you 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 don't feel that there's anything at stake in the destruction of this world because it's not a real world. I do, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but I think it's so visually imaginative, or, or, or if not imaginative, at least... Um, Kind of aspirational, right? It wants so to skill. wants to create beautiful shots and yes. and, and the, I, I spoke 
when we talked about Godzilla, King of the Monsters, you know, I spoke about the graphics in that, and I spoke about the way that Godzilla's atomic breath is used to light up clouds and smoke and things. Mm. It's just beautiful, and like I said, in that film, there are shots that you could have as like desktop backgrounds and things that are beautiful. You can have the same thing here. You know, there are just these beautiful artistic compositions, um, and actually, it's funny. I think all four films have that. They they have an aspiration to visual poetry that is quite rare amongst blockbusters, really. Like, they're, they're not as functional as other films are, right? They want to inspire or create wonder with their images. Mm. Even though, like, in you know, Kong Skull Island, I thought it kind of fell very, very flat and didn't have as, nearly as much charm as a film like that should have, which was just people gallivanting around Lost World getting eaten by monsters. You know, it should have been great fun, but it wasn't. Mm. But still, it was beautiful. You know, King of the Monsters was beautiful. Mm. And that's something I really respect about this. And I think this does the same thing. So we didn't see this at the cinema. We saw it on a big telly. Mm. But still it looked amazing, right? It would have looked incredible at the cinema. But yeah. still, like, on the on the telly, even though you think, you know, you, you are losing something and not seeing it in a cinema, I still thought it looked beautiful and, and wondrous. And I really, really felt... I, I felt the visual quality in, in, of those images. I did and I didn't. I mean, I agree with you. You did feel the visual quality of the images. You felt there were very skilled people doing it. There's a lot of work put into the design of the compositions and the world and so on. And it all pays off. Yeah, it is, mm. it is worth watching. I also felt that there was kind of an additional layer of expression or artistry that it didn't quite achieve. Yeah, that I wanted those shots to be more expressive. Mm. Yeah, than just showing like, uh, I don't know, a beautiful cave or something, right? <laughs> like, you know, you wanted the shot to also convey some of the horror of being in that cave or something. And there was that other layer that was not quite there. I mm. So whilst I agree with you that it is very beautiful and it is really skilled and, you know, kind of, I mean, there's a scene where uh, Alex Skarsgård is just framed with red lasers and you could see that it's been thought about, yeah, mm. the, that framing. But I also think it's not... So I think all the below-the-line people are doing wonderful <laughs> things, and the above-the-line people are not up to their level. Let's put it that way. The above-the-line people being... Being the director, the screenwriter. I would excuse the actors, because actually, the, you know, the, the, the film has a wonderful cast of non-stars, or of almost-stars, mm-hmm. or of B-stars. You know, I love watching Rebecca Hall... I think um, Brian Terry Henry. Brian Terry Henry is maybe my favorite actor in cinema, and I can never remember his name, <laughs> <laughs> or I always get his name mixed up. Uh, but I just love watching him. Um, and then there are the young girl from Stranger Things, and Millie Bobby Brown, and the boy from uh, the Wilder Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah. So, and they were all wonderful to see. Julian Dennison. Yes. I like that the series is explicitly ecological, really. Like, these things aren't our fault as a species. We awake, you know, these beasts due to our overconsumption and so on and so forth. I don't know. I mean, you know, frankly, there's an ecological message and so on. Right, like... uh, um... I don't think it's enough to just go... I think you have to... (laughs) I'm not saying it's, like, incredibly profound, but I think you have to respect to some degree that it is the only major you know, series or franchise that that attempts to grapple with ideas in that respect. If you compare it to, like, Marvel, Marvel's all about just subject yourself to the power of the super-powerful I know, and, but know, and look, the people who rule you. I'm looking at the poster now, 
And what you have is the two monsters surrounded by mist because they are so high, you know, over this big industrial city that they are renting asunder. I mean, you know, I, I don't see anything ecological about, you know, what the poster is selling. Oh, yeah, well, it's not on the poster. It can't be in the film, then. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's also about two fucking giant monsters fighting in the clouds. Well, of course it is. <laughs> Uh, but it's, 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 I think it, you're grasping at straws. I don't think I'm grasping at straws yeah. at all. I think I think it's in there. I think you know it's like it, it reminds me of um, the Walking Dead, or well, the Walking Dead video games because I've not watched the TV show, but I think it's the same in the TV show where, at least in the video games, right, the zombies are not a threat in the video games, mm. right, and I think it's the same in the TV show. If you can basically walk at a brisk pace. You don't have anything to worry about because they just shuffle along. They're not very threatening. They can't climb stuff. So if you like get to a house, build a wall, like you're actually good. You're fine. You can just survive the zombies. And so everything that goes wrong in The Walking Dead is because humans start fighting each other. Humans start arguing. We can't get along with each other. Like we're to blame fundamentally, and I think that's that's what's going on in the MonsterVerse. We're to blame for the things we unleash upon ourselves. Uh, I like that. It's not the same in you know in Marvel and in DC. It's things that come from another world, and we have to protect ourselves, and we have to employ the the people who stand above us with the super suits and the superpowers. Well, um, fine. <laughs> right like I mean I think it was to me it was a film that was kind of uh, pleasant but really unengaging I felt I could go into the kitchen and make coffee and not miss anything that was very disappointing because he did miss stuff he missed a brilliant shot where Mechagodzilla and Godzilla fired their breath at each other I saw that did you? you you could see from the kitchen but you know I'm saying that you don't you know it's not absorbing so you feel no you know yeah, mm. I'll wait or or pause. I mean, I would normally ask you to pause. I just didn't feel that, you know, it was kind of... You have no sympathy. What's... <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think what's definitely true is that, is that the main characters are the creatures, you know. So even though we spend a lot of time with the people and the people are the ones with all the dialogue, they're essentially secondary. They they're, are. Like, everything they do relates to the monsters. Everything they do is about following the monsters or responding to them or learning from them or something like that. And it's particularly Kong, because as you say, Godzilla is like more unknown in this film. But particularly Kong is, he's the one we identify with. And when he gets up at the end, and when he starts swinging around at the end, I felt happy for him. I think this is really by the numbers filmmaking, you know, with millions and millions of, you know, (laughs) hundreds of millions of dollars at his disposal, you know, to hire the best craftsmen and technicians, really. And this is what it is. So, you know, what's great about it is what, you know, all those amazing people collectively have been able to produce. What's missing in it is any kind of artistry. That's that's too harsh. <laughs> and, and you know that. And you're just being a curmudgeon because you can. And actually, you know, I don't want to put this down too much. It was, you know, I must say, I didn't expect very much of it. And in many ways, it was better than I expected. Yeah, that, you know, kind of visually, it was much better than I expected. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, some of the cast, I was surprised and delighted to see, particularly Rebecca Hall and Brian Terry. <laughs> Henry. Henry, who I just love watching in anything. And they really do bring a humanity, you know, to mm. to the characters they play that is most welcome. And I think that this does have charm, 
that you know it starts off with Godzilla lounging around on his island and it's playing a happy song about oh there was a girl waiting to see me or whatever the song was and at the end same thing you yeah, know and you were saying oh it's so cheesy and I was like but it knows it's cheesy it's, like no, it's, it's true it's true it's you true know. I grant you that and actually it has some beautiful shots I thought all those shots of Kong on the ship mm. yeah kind of on the water were you know quite something actually uh, and uh, the shots of him being flown, yeah, in, in what in that is neck. It, the hem- hammock, yes, mm. the, the net that it acts like a hammock. I mean, there, there are quite visually striking things. And then they land him in some snow, and then he's got snow all over him, and it's just amazing to look at, I think. Just looking oh. all that snow on his fur. Okay. I think it's great. I love. I, love, I like to see... Well, you were t- you've already been talking throughout about the skill of the artistry involved, yeah. whether it may not be artistic, but, you know, the craft. I just don't get thrilled by snow as much as you do. That's I like. think it just looks... <laughs> I love to see really good-looking graphics. Uh-huh. You know? Well, this has really good-looking graphics. I just think that good-looking graphics are not enough to make a good, good film. No. Luckily, there's more than that. LAUGHTER <laughs> All right. Is there anything more you want to add? No. Looking forward to the next one, whatever it is. All Godzilla right. plus Kong versus Kramer. I liked it more than I expected to, and I can imagine myself making a lot of gifts out of this film, actually. so <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I recommend you know that you see it if you don't expect too much, and if you don't expect any of these you know, highfalutin ideas that Mike keeps saying are in, embedded in the very fabric of this film. Well, of course they are. <laughs> yes, Not so. just the film, but the series. It's a series that aims for something a bit more than let's stop the purple guy from killing everyone. Uh, that I grant you, but whether it achieves more and what kind of more it achieves is what's open to debate. Fair enough. So thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.